powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. First and goal. Mahomes swings it. It's there! Hartman! Jackpot! Kansas City! It is the Kansas City Chiefs winners of a second consecutive Super Bowl. First time a team has done that since, of course, the Tom Brady-led New England Patriots. Kyle Shanahan losers to both quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. One time as OC, twice as head coach. We're going to talk about all of it right now. Bump! How was the Super Bowl for you? How was your Super Bowl watching party? It was good. It was good. I went uh, I went down to the gig. Um, nice little drive. Actually, wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it seems far away in my About mind. an hour, 15 minutes. I uh, went down to the homie's house, watched the game, and uh, it was good, man. It was a, a defensive battle to start, right? No scores in the first quarter. You got a couple turnovers there. Um, and then the second quarter got going, and I, we kind of felt like we we knew how this was going to end, right? You felt like the, the Niners weren't doing enough to hold off the Kansas City Chiefs. But uh, we'll get into the details here throughout the show. But uh, overall, my experience was good. It was one of the better Super Bowls. I mean, the second yeah. second Super Bowl to go into overtime, Kyle Shanahan's been a part of both of those things. Mm-hmm. Almost got a third overtime, but Pat Mahomes doing what he does. I know, and I, I was among the people, even knowing the overtime rules, where my heart was starting to race as the clock was ticking down. And then I'm glad that Tony Romo and the crew reminded us all, hey, I know you guys are getting nervous, but this works just like another game where the quarter ends and then the next one picks back up. I love the overtime rules. I'm here for it. Also, Mm -hmm. uh, some news to come out of the 49ers locker room from the ringer and ESPN. Um, This was a a great game overall. Like the 49ers played well enough to win. And I thought Kyle Shanahan overall coached well enough to win. If there is one thing anyone can point to, it's was it the right decision to defer um, or excuse me, to elect to receive mm-hmm. uh, in overtime with the new rules. And the Chiefs spoke about it and said that they'd gone over the rules, they'd practiced this in training camp, they knew exactly what they'd want to do, um, and the 49ers played into that. Apparently, again, from the Ringer and ESPN, a lot of 49ers players had no idea how the new rules worked. I really hope that wasn't the case because um, now – would it did it would it affect what Kyle Shanahan does in that moment? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe this was his plan going forward. Like, look, if we do get an overtime, we want the football first. Let's go ahead and get it. But the fact that the players weren't aware of the rules is a bit concerning. That's kind of like when you go into a college class, calm one on one. You sit down, you get the syllabus, you're going through all the expectations and all that stuff. I feel like that's what you do day one right. in training camp. This is how the NFL has changed. Because every year there's some tweaks to the NFL. They're gonna try Try theirs. You're going to do that. So I think you make your players aware. So that's concerning that the players didn't know. But if Kyle Shanahan knew and he goes into the situation and goes, this is how I'm going to approach it, then so be it. I just I would like for the players to be informed, though. I know. Let's um continue to uh, talk about some of these moments. Uh, we'll go over the plays of the game and all that, including Corn Dog, apparently used in consecutive years to win the Super Bowl. Can't wait to talk about that play first. Uh, let's talk about from the 49ers point of view and then what you said. Uh, the 49ers played a good games, but you said Mahomes is just inevitable. When did you know the Chiefs would win? Was it that final play or before? No, nah, it was um, when they got the football in overtime. I go, you didn't score a touchdown. You didn't put up seven points. Not gonna be enough. Mahomes is going to drive this football down the field and uh, and do his thing, man. But um, there were some some things that happened, right? Because, look, 
We talk about the Niners. They played good enough to win this ball game, but they didn't take advantage of some opportunities, mm-hmm. right? You get that fumble by Pacheco. You get no points off of that. You get that interception to start the second half that Pat Mahomes throws. You get no points off of that, and then you miss that extra point. You look at that extra point, right? If you get points off of those turnovers, we'll, we'll see what happens, right? But let's just control what you can really control, which is just making a field uh, extra point. You make that extra point, instead of them tying it up at 16 to 16, they're down one. Mm-hmm. Instead of them tying it up at 19 and 19, you're down one one so as soon as I saw I saw those little little things happening and them not capitalizing on those opportunities I go this is going to hurt them later in the game you have to put the Chiefs away when you can not put them away but continue to distance yourself but I felt after the Niners scored that field going overtime I knew it wasn't going to be enough these guys are going to drive all the way down the field and score and they did exactly that with seven seconds left this was one of the more entertaining Super Bowls for sure well and there were certainly moments where San Francisco looked like they would stop them or looked like uh you know Kansas City would run out of luck, but Patrick Mahomes did it with his legs. Like I, di- I don't think of Patrick Mahomes and think mobile quarterback. I think of a quarterback who can feel unstoppable at times. But I thought it was so important that he incorporated that scrambling earlier in the game uh, because that came into play uh, in overtime. Fourth and one from their own 34-yard line. They didn't get it done on third and one. They go nowhere. Patrick Mahomes picks up eight yards. Uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, scrambles uh, a bit later in the game uh, on third and one to convert uh, a third down for 19 yards that time. I mean, two huge conversions with Patrick Mahomes' legs. This is not Lamar Jackson. This, <laughs> this is, this is someone that uh, that was getting it done. I, I thought that uh, it was a year where Patrick Mahomes had to do a lot himself. And even though the Chiefs' defense was a big part of this win, this drive, 13 plays, 75 yards. That was Mahomes. Yeah, this um that's why he gets paid the big bucks because you, you look at the struggles to start the game man. the, the Niners fumble, you go punt, punt, punt and a couple field goals. Right. And, and you're looking for the signature Mahomes drive and you get a 13 play 65 yard drive before the half, you kick a field goal. But other than that, you had to wait all the way until it was winning time. And here's the thing too, is Mahomes get, should get all the praise and the love, but it wasn't like the 49ers just laid down and gave up and Kansas city took it. You look at like the last few possessions, one, uh, the the Chiefs capitalize on that muff punt, right? That's when things really start to change for me. You give them field position, they go one play, 16 yards. The Niners respond, 12 play, 75. The Chiefs respond, 12 play, 69 to field goal. Then 7 to 40, 11. I mean, at the end of the game, these teams were going back and forth, man. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it came down to who was going to have the football last. And you felt that if Pat Mahomes had it last, they were going to win. If Purdy had the ball last, there's still room for error because yeah. we haven't seen this, right? I think everyone's watching this game and 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 breaking down the drives and saying, look, Mahomes gets it. It's a wrap. And that's what happens. 13 plays, 75 yards. He's scrambling. He's making good decisions. He's getting out of bounds. He did everything possible to win that. And when you have a team that has struggled offensively, that led the team, let the, uh, the the NFL in drops, or your, your tight end's not having the greatest year, all you want is an opportunity at the end of the game because you have Patrick Mahomes. He got that opportunity at the end of the game. He did what he was supposed to do. Now he's uh, – He's uh, he's spoken amongst the greats at this point. What did you make of Kyle Shanahan? Because one of the, obviously we're all talking about Patrick Mahomes and this Kansas City defense and uh, Kansas City being a dynasty and all of this stuff and you know Taylor Swift and Travis etc. Uh, but on the other side of things, Kyle Shanahan was in his third Super Bowl twice as a head coach. In all three games, he has had minimum a ten point lead at one point late on his opponent. Has been Curtis. You said uh, in the final three minutes he's had a lead in all three of these games as well. Um, 
and he's lost all three. And I, I don't worry, I guess. It's, it's not my head coach, not my team. But, like, that does start to affect your legacy. And what's wild is all three of these teams have been phenomenal. You were the number one seed, one of the best teams by DVOA this year. And it just wasn't enough. No, um, and Curtis pointed this out. Un- unfortunately, he's playing in the Pat Mahomes era. Curtis said uh, <laughs> the Chiefs are the Utah Jazz of the NFL back in the, in the 90s. Trying or the to Niners beat, are, yeah. Yeah, the Niners are, excuse me. The Niners are the Utah Jazz of the 90s back in the day trying to beat the Bulls. And that's exactly it, man. You look at that 49ers team, they got better players everywhere, everywhere besides the quarterback spot. And even I'm looking at the way the Niners used George Kittle. They didn't use George Kittle. I'm looking at George. I'm saying, get this man involved. He had three targets, two receptions for four yards. And that was the story of the first half to me for both of these guys. Yeah, Travis Kelsey with one target, one reception. Mm-hmm. You got George Kittle with nothing going on there. Um, going into this game, that was the matchup I was I was hyping up. I go, look, you got two of the greatest Titans of all time about to go at it. These guys are going to contribute. One turns it on in the second half, whether whether that be play calling or scheme that got Travis Kelsey involved. The other one wasn't able to get going. Um, so there, there were a lot of mini matchups in this whole thing that I was interested in watching. I, I saw Trent Williams get put on his back more than I've ever seen him get put on on his butt um, on that offensive line. Um, Nick Bosa had himself a game. You look at his stats, she does not going to really show up there, but he, he affected the pocket. And then you got McCole Harbin, the guy who was cut by the New York Jets earlier this year, scores a touchdown and ran the same play that they ran against Philly to score that touchdown, that mm-hmm. motion. And big ups to Tony Romo, who described that play perfectly. Tony had himself a good game last night calling as well. But um, there's that motion by Hardman. He's at the number one receiver spot. He motions to that number two, and then he, he hits the flat again. Now, the reason why that works, and Tony described it beautifully, is that as soon as that motion happens, that corner now takes his eyes from number one to number two. The timing of when Pat Mahomes snapped the football, hit him behind your, I believe it was Travis Kelsey at the time, and boom, that corner's not even worried about Harbin. He goes, look, he's gone. My responsibility is there. So the little things, man, that uh, Pat Mahomes does at the end of the game is what makes him so special. Yeah, that play called Corn Dog. Andy Reid on the postgame show said, we ran Corn Dog last year. We ran it this year with a little bit of ketchup and mustard. So we like, we switched it up a little bit, added a little bit of spice. But ultimately, a play they like to have in their back pocket, a really fun play. You described it perfectly. Uh, and I agree with you. Tony Romo was great at kind of breaking it down for fans afterward. Um, I... Look at it, and I wonder, and I'll throw this question to you, did the Niners do something to lose this game, or did Patrick Mahomes just take it into his own hands? Because I keep I, – I've seen the takes. I've seen, you know, hey, they, um, they shouldn't have, uh, you know – um, elected to receive the ball in overtime. I've seen, oh, you, you know, you have that uh, muffed punt. I've seen, oh, you know, Kyle Shanahan, X, Y, and Z. I thought it was a well-played game. Yeah. I thought they did just fine. No, they, they did fine. And the main thing was Brock Purdy didn't lose that game, right? That was the thing. He didn't win it, but he definitely didn't lose that game. But I thought that the 49ers let some things get away. One, they were horrible on third down. They were three for 12 on third down. That's not like the San Francisco 49ers. But I just mentioned a few plays. You don't get points off the Pacheco fumble. You don't get points off of the interception. And then you give the San Francisco, excuse me, the Kansas City Chiefs a short field in 16 yards. It's almost like Pat Mahomes stole a possession right there. Instead of the 49ers getting the football, maybe driving it down the field and playing the field position game, boom, you get that muff. And now 
the, the Chiefs are back in the game. So I wouldn't say the 49ers lost the game because those things are going to happen in a football game. They're going to be turnovers for the most part, um, and they're going to be opportunities for other teams. The San Francisco 49ers just didn't capitalize and didn't take care of the little things. I feel bad for Luter back there, the, the punt return guy, because it hit one of his players' uh, cleats. He had to jump on that thing. It's just unfortunate, but you kind of felt it happen, and you're like, oh, there's a mistake they didn't capitalize on. Oh, there's another one. Then you get into overtime, and Pat Mahomes has the ball. It's a wrap, man. I don't – Pablo Holmes makes me feel like when I used to watch Jordan shoot any shot, whenever the ball left Jordan's hand, I assumed that that thing was going in. That's how I feel when Pat Mahomes has a football towards the end of the game. It's like, I don't care how bad or how good he was prior to this. In this moment is when he shines. And I'm watching the game with my wife, and um, Purdy and the, and the gang are driving down the field, and they, they score their, uh, their field goal, and they zoom in on Pat Mahomes. And I go, you see that face? Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, my God, he's so calm. I go, yeah. He, li- he even had a little smirk on his face. Like, knows. y'all already know what's about to go down, man. So um, he just – Keeps adding to his legacy, and it's fun to watch. I'm fully prepared. I already know the texts are about to come in, okay? I already know they're going to come in. It's going to be seven rings, and it's going to be, you know, no, he's not, or it's going to be Brady's the GOAT. I'm not being a prisoner of the moment when asking this. Is Mahomes the best we've ever seen? Best? I, it's I the new about, Jordan versus LeBron. Yeah, debate. just nah, think about your answer. Nah, what, what, nah, no, no. Um, He's the best physically at the quarterback spot when it comes to the throws that he makes. His impro- you know, him improving, him, uh, him uh, scrambling, using his legs, using all of his resources, right? Uh, but I still look at Tom Brady and I go, well, he's done it so many more times. Accomplished, right? If yeah. I'm gonna take, if I'm gonna take the physical and the arm angles and and all that stuff, I'm gonna take Pat Mahomes. But there's something to be said. We have seen Tom Brady do what Pat Mahomes did last night. A bunch of times. I think Mahomes is on his way. I'm not ready to say that he's the GOAT right now. Physically, he might be better than Tom Brady, but Tom got the – I mean, come on. Tom came back. What was the score against Atlanta? 28-3. Come on now. <laughs> I'll remember that forever. Right. I'll well, be on my deathbed. 28-3. Brady stands will also point to the fact that of Mahomes' three playoff losses, two came to Tom Brady. Exactly. The AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. It's essentially the LeBron-MJ conversation. Yeah. Like, There's people that can point easily. It's it's almost not even an argument to say, well, Brady has seven rings. Duh, everyone knows that Brady has more rings. Like Brady played longer. Brady – no one will touch Brady's seven rings. But that – Letting that end the conversation to me as a sports radio host makes it a little boring. You know what I mean? Like, would J- Brady has seven rings? Would every single person listening right now take peak Brady over peak Mahomes? Probably not. I don't think so. No. Nah. I think it would be a little more split. Yeah. I'll, right now, right now, I'm still taking Tom Brady. I know Pat Mahomes is physically better, and he and he might pass him up, and he, you know and. Um, he probably will pass him up, honestly, after seeing what I saw last night. But right now, I'm still taking a guy who has more rings and who has been in those situations more than Pat Mahomes so mm-hmm. far and has executed. Now, Pat Mahomes is going to be in those situations a lot more in the next few years, and he's going to have his time to shine. And the argument is going to change a bit. But uh, as of right now, I'm still going with Tom Brady, man. He knows things about football that Pat Mahomes hasn't even thought True. of yet. Like he, He's forgotten more than Pat Mahomes has experienced. So that's that's the only reason why I go with the old head because he's just uh, he's seen he's seen a bit more, but uh, Pat Mahomes is on his way. Yeah, I just there's something about watching Mahomes that feels 
more, I don't, I can't think of a better word than improbable. Some of the things he does, I had someone text in, uh, Brady throws a more aesthetically pleasing ball. I don't know. I think Brady is a, a great passer, obviously. You don't even have to say that. But yeah. I think some of what Mahomes does, you kind of do a double take. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's, I know we all joke about it, but there's a reason that when I go to Green Lake, uh, if I see guys throwing the ball around, they're not making uh, any catches, but they're all trying to throw like Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> like it's it's yeah. impacted the way mm-hmm. people try to play football. Um, all right, we're gonna uh, talk about the Super Bowl through much of the day, but right now we got to get to headline rewrites. Headline rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. <laughs> Headline number one, the Seahawks finish off their coaching staff with the hires of Ryan Grubb as offensive coordinator and Adam Durday as defensive coordinator. So what's the real headline? You're telling me Bama didn't get someone they wanted? What? That just doesn't happen for Alabama. Yeah, blame NIL in the portal, Alabama, because things are different and coaches look at NFL jobs and uh, they want them. You're not having to fundraise. You're not recruiting year long. You are just coaching your guys. And I think that's what attracts Grubb. And also, man, him and the wife, he moved up here two years ago. They probably like the area. Their, their kids are in school. There are so many other factors when it comes to this. But I think the biggest one is just coaching football. That's why the NFL, man, is going to be snatching some of these college coaches. And uh, good for Grubb, man. And my my only question for that situation is how much of a heads up did Grubb give the board? Did Grubb go to that, that meeting with the alum the other day and tell the board, like, look, man, I'm going to do this. But if I get the call, I'm going to the NFL. Something tells me that he did because they're boys. They've been in, on this journey together. But good for Grubb. Good for the Seahawks. I'm interested. But him letting Grubb know, or excuse me, him letting uh, DeBoer know, which I also agree he probably did, also makes it a little weird when you consider that he left the day after the 30-day transfer period had closed. So it's like, I'm going to ensure that you don't lose too many transfers. Then I'm going to dip. Yeah. Like it's kind of kind of shady. Yeah. Even though I'm happy to have Grubb here in Seattle and Coming up later this hour, we're going to talk about what it's like to have such a green coaching staff. But uh, I'm not mad at the hire at all. Um, I'm also not mad that Alabama lost a coach. I do feel for those players that let that portal expire. Yeah. Headline rewrites. Headline number two before UCLA hired Deshaun Foster this morning as their new head coach. UW's Jetfish may or may not have spoken with Bruins officials over the weekend about the vacancy. What's the real headline? A tiger doesn't change its stripes, and neither does a fish, apparently. Oh, I like that one. Okay. Curtis helped me with that one. Okay, okay. <laughs> I had I had Wildcat. <laughs> Makes more sense. I mean, we'll have fish. here's the thing, though. It, you have to answer the phone, right? I feel like if you are a Jetfish, you have to answer the phone. Now, it's all about what your conversation is like. Are you leading UCLA on? Are you entertaining him, right? You can answer the phone and not really entertain it. You can just say, look, I've already signed a deal with you, Dub. I'm committed to these guys. I'm going to go ahead and do my thing. Something tells me that Fish sat there and had a longer conversation that was necessary. But the thing that happened here was Deshaun Foster is now the head coach of UCLA. A great over there. I watched him when I was in high school growing up, going to the Rose Bowl, watching him play and knock him off at the running back spot. He's been there since 2013, student assistant, grad assistant, RB coach, director of play development, and now he's the head coach. This is a great move because with the NIL and the Porter deal going on, you have to find familiarity with these kids because of the timing of when guys are leaving. You're going to have guys who say, look, I'm committed to UCLA, see Chip Kelly go and go, no, I'm good. But now you have a guy who's been there for a while mm-hmm. who probably helped recruit these dudes. I think that is the smart move and a great move, man. Deshaun Foster has paid his dues. I'm happy for him. 
Headline rewrites. Headline number three, Julio Rodriguez tweeted, quote, I want to know what that feels like, end quote, following the Chiefs' Super Bowl win. What's the real headline? Hopefully the Mariners' front office shares that same desire. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my, I, you know, you get a, in a car for an hour, 20 minutes. We talk about all kinds of we, we talk about some things, and we were talking about the Mariners because uh, she brought that up. She um, she talked about just, well, you know, why do people, why are people so hard on the Mariners and this and that? And I'm explaining it to her, and then after the game, she asked a question about Julio, and he goes, look, people feel like the M's don't have the desire to win like other organizations because they're not willing to spin. And then, you know, she helps me run Elite Training Academy. She's the day-to-day. And she goes, well, financially, all this makes sense, what you're telling me. I go, you're right. If you're running this like a business, financially, it makes sense. But aren't you in the winning business? Don't you want trophies? Don't you want rings? And then she started thinking about it like that and kind of understood. But her being the businesswoman she is, she goes, seems fine to me. And I go, you know what? That's why I'm the athlete, babe. And you are the business mind because I want to <laughs> win. You're looking at profit margins. I uh, I kind of have that feeling. Um, now, I've, I've obviously not connected it between uh, Super Bowls, but seeing the World Series, like I always have that feeling of wondering because when you've gone long enough with the Mariners not doing much of anything, I've let myself believe over the course of my life, obviously growing up here, like, will they ever see it? I mean, it's probably the same thing Lions fans feel, right? Like, right. what if you just don't? What if your team doesn't? That's not what I ever want to feel. I mean, I'm going to be there at opening day, entering into another season, thinking, you never know. You never know what's <laughs> possible. But um, but there is something about seeing a dynasty uh, and seeing a team that knows exactly what they want to be. I mean, not only did they win for a consecutive year, but back to those overtime rules, the Chiefs players talked about Andy Reid, the coaching staff, talking about those rules in training camp. They spent two weeks on right. them. That's an organization that expects to be in a Super Bowl. I don't even think you need to spend two weeks on it, but the fact that they did let you know just how prepared they are in these situations. Uh, yeah. I, and, and here's the thing, too, man. I don't think it changes what Kyle Shanahan does. And I don't think it's, oh, the players don't understand the rules. What are they going to do? You're going to go out and you're going to run the play that your guy calls, right? But there are little things mentally that you might tweak if you understand the situation a bit better. All right, you're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The Seahawks have their OC. That's next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. The Seahawks have their new OC reportedly hiring Ryan Grubb away from Alabama. We had heard reports uh, a couple weeks ago that the Seahawks were interested uh, in hiring Ryan Grubb. And then Ryan Grubb introduced himself as Alabama's OC at a signing event. And we all kind of thought, well, I guess we'll look to Chip Kelly then Chip Kelly went to uh, Ohio State as their OC, and we thought, who's going to be Seahawks OC? Now we know. How do you feel about the hire? Um, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, now, we were waiting to see what moves were going to be made, right? Waiting on Ben Johnson. He's not there. He stays with uh, Detroit. Slowick stays where he is. And then we go to, to Tanner Ingstan. Am I saying his name right? Ingstrand. Ingstrand. Um, over there with the, um, with, uh, his, with, with, with yeah. the Lions as well. So, we went through all these possibilities and Grubb got into the mix late. And the reason why I like this hire is um, because it continues to show that this organization is changing its direction a bit. They're going younger. They're not afraid to try something new. Uh, you got a 36-year-old head coach, 41-year-old 
defensive coordinator, 44-yard offensive coordinator, and people are saying, who's going to lead this team, right? Mike McDonald is going to lead this team, but you got the OG Leslie, Leslie Frazier over there making sure that if anything pops up that Mike isn't familiar with, he's able to go forward. So I look at this grub hiring, and I go, okay, I like it. Why do I like it? Because I look at Geno, and I look at the way Penix was used, and I go, Geno can do what Penix can do. Now, honestly, you look at the college game and NFL, it resembles each other. Only thing difference is, is that you can go out and recruit some college kids. You got to draft your guys in the NFL, and there's a salary cap. So you're not just going to be able to dominate a, uh, a team that's lost their quarterback and their offensive line is banged up and they only got three and four stars on their team. You can't just out-personnel some dudes uh, like you can in the uh, in the college ranks. Now, there are some teams that can. Obviously, the Niners can out-personnel some guys. Um, they're they're the, the guys at the top of the league and guys at the bottom of the league. But I like this because I look at his offense and you think of them throwing the football everywhere, right? The last two years, what, in 2022, they had the number two ring office, UW, and 2023, they had a 13 ring offense, number one and number two when it comes to passing. People forget that they ran the football, too. Now, Dylan Johnson had himself a good year. So the fact that you're looking at UW and all you see, you imagine the ball just bow, 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 being thrown everywhere, you forget that they run the rock, too. So mm-hmm. I look at what Grubb did at UW, and I go, how do you build off of that? And what do you add to your play calling? Because you're not just going to be able to just physically dominate every single week. Well, it's always hard to gauge an offensive coordinator when you've only seen a limited window because he only had those weapons at that time. Of course, he's going to turn to the pass. And of course, that's going to be the thing that you notice when you have NFL caliber wide receivers and an NFL caliber quarterback who can throw it all over the yard. Like if he would have gone in there with Michigan's offense, maybe that offense looks a little bit different. Um, So I'm curious to see uh, what Grubb's play calling looks like with different weapons, because like you said, it's not that Gino, uh, you know, can't throw it. It's not that you don't have two great uh, receivers, three great receivers here in Seattle, but you've got a little more to work with in terms of running back options. Um, And uh, obviously the offensive line uh, is not quite the same, but uh, there's going to be some new challenges as well. Um, What do you say to people who say, and again, this isn't my argument. I ask these questions because I see it on the text Mm -hmm. line or I see it in tweets. What do you say to people who say, yeah, you know, we all loved what Grubb did, uh, but then his offense got exposed in the national title game. I would say that that offensive line met a defensive line like they've never seen before. That's what I would say. I would say that um, it's hard to win every single ball game, and eventually you go up against an opponent that's better than you unless you're hoisting the trophy at the end of the year. It's going to happen to 99% of teams out there. Uh, so, yeah, I, I look at the matchup and I go, Michigan won that matchup in the trenches. If you can control the trenches, you will give yourself a chance, whether you have Mr. Irrelevant at quarterback or you have the number one pick in the draft at quarterback. The offensive line are going to determine a lot of that. And then also, let's let's be 100, Penix didn't have his best game. Penix felt pressure like he's never felt it before. Over the past couple years, man, he's only been sacked under 15, 20 times. He's not used to being touched. So I saw an offensive line get dominated. I saw a a tackle that was a little little light in the booty uh, get dominated a little bit. That's what I saw. And again, we're not going to judge Grubb off of one game. Just like I'm not going to judge Mike McCarthy off of one game. Just like I'm not going to judge uh, Lamar Jackson off of one game. Even though, Lamar, you got to do better next year, baby. Come on now. Yeah. But um, no, I look at that the same way. You're not, you're not guaranteed to win every single game. There's only a, a certain few who have won national championships and Super Bowl rings. 
And it just wasn't his night. That offensive line got dominated when I watched that Michigan game, and Michael Penix did not have the game that we're used to seeing. Do you feel like it opens up uh, the possibility? You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but let's focus on it. Uh, a real possibility of Michael Penix, or do you think that that's just us locally having a little bit of bias, not not being mad at the idea of seeing more Michael Penix? Or do you think that's real, that an OC can really influence a head coach and an organization with his connections? Uh, he can influence a bit. I know for sure Mike McDonald is saying, okay, tell me about Penix. Tell me about Roma Dunze. Tell me about any of these guys who could be available at that number 16 pick so we can relay the information to our scouting department who's already done their research on these guys. But you've worked with them one-on-one. What is he like? How does he think? Now, it can have some influence, but at the end of the day, Mike McDonald knows what he wants at number 16. And again, like I've always said, the the draft is just a domino effect. You can think this is who I want at number 16. He could be gone at 15. He, mm-hmm. he could be gone at 12. So I think I don't. I would. I'm going to retract. I'm going to say not influence, but just give intel. This is this is what I think of this kid. You do what you want with that situation because he already has a quarterback that I think he looks at Geno Smith and says I can work with that. I mean, my my guy is good when it comes to play action. Uh, for the most part, he takes care of the football. He did have nine interceptions. I understand that. Uh, but the last two years, he's shown that he is a good quarterback in this league. So I don't think Grubb is is getting the position and saying, this is the guy I want at quarterback. But he can say, look, but if we were to go quarterback, this is why I like Penix. He might even look at J.J. McCarthy and be like, actually, I prefer right. J.J. over there. Just because he coached him at the University of Washington doesn't necessarily mean that he has his blinders on and he's just going to ignore every other quarterback that's out there. Grubb is an offensive guy, offensive line guy, and he has coached the quarterback position. He's looking at all these quarterbacks and saying, this is what I like about him. This is what I don't like about him. He's got the cons and pros list with Michael Penix, too. I like that offensive line history, too, that being important. God, I really should have looked at the histories of uh, Schottenheimer and Bevel um, and Waldron. Uh, Waldron, I know, had previously worked with tight ends, but um, I— I like that experience. I know that uh, Huff comes up here as well, so you still have your offensive line coach and you got the guys focusing on that. But, like, that's been such an area of weakness mm-hmm. for Seattle. Or rather, I should say inconsistently. You've had some great players there, but never great as a unit. And uh, I don't know how much that will impact things. I don't know how much your OC having experience there uh, will change things, but I do think it helps. Yeah, I think it does help. Um, football, you have to protect the quarterback. You have to create run lanes for the, the RBs, man. When it comes down to his core, football is heavily relying on the big boys. And if you can get those guys to understand the box that they're looking at, to be on the same page when it comes to double teaming or handling stunts, um, you just give yourself a better chance. You give a guy like Mr. Irrelevant the confidence to step his game up and say, I'm no longer Mr. Irrelevant, man. I'm a guy who can run this offense because, one, I understand protection. I know I'm going to be protected, and uh, and we have a run game to go with it. So I, I look at Grubb being an offensive line guy, and I love it. Now, I, I, I would love to see more receiver guys be offensive coordinators, obviously, with the way the game is going, but you could never go wrong with an offensive guy. Never. Um, uh, O-line guy as your OC. You can get guys to do your pass game. You can get guys to, to do your run game. But just the fundamentals of football, protecting the quarterback, creating run lanes, it starts there. So it's always nice when you have a guy who's experiencing that. Um, he is experienced with that. You brought this up yourself earlier in this segment. He is not experienced at the NFL level, nor is your defensive coordinator. And you've got a first-time head coach. The Seahawks have really changed 
compared to having uh, the oldest head coach of the NFL with an NFL coaching staff that had been there, done that, not a ton of change behind the scenes with Pete Carroll's staff. I mean, this is not a different Seahawks team per se, but an entirely different coaching staff in a very different one, too, in terms of experience, in terms of what they want to do, in terms of where they come from. And we're going to explore what that means for the Seahawks on the field next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. The Seahawks have a first-time head coach, first-time OC, first-time DC. How's that make you guys feel? 866-979-3776. You can join the Mac and Jack's text line. I'll say this, Bump. Great backgrounds for all of these guys. You know what had a great defense this year? The Cowboys. You got the defensive line coach. You know what was a really explosive offense? The Washington Huskies. You got their coordinator. The best defense in the NFL. The coordinator who oversaw that is your new head coach. So, like, on paper, great experience. Just really, like, a like a wonderful resume. The resume does not include NFL stints uh, in the levels they're currently at. Yeah. You got to start somewhere, right? It's not like these guys are getting a job and they've never coordinated. Well, not at that level, right? right. I, I think I don't think Aiden has. Uh, is it Aiden? Auden. Is it Auden? Uh, let's. Take I think it's Auden. A, we have the correct pronunciation. I think. Let's. Here we go. It's my pleasure to introduce Aden Durday. Aden Durday. Aden Durday. Ad. Coach Aden. Aden. Um. Right, so you look at where these guys come from and you go, all right, they've never been coaches on this level before. But I look at Grubb and I go, look, there, there's a few things that these guys are or have to be or they wouldn't even be in this position or just leaders of men, young men. Now you're going to be leaders of grown men, right? There are some things that are to be true about every coach on every level if you're trying to win, honestly. You're going to have your coaches' meetings. You're going to have your – uh, offense, defense, special team meetings. You're going to break off into your groups. You're going to have your special teams meeting. You're going to go to practice. There will be periods. Everything's going to be scheduled. There are some things that high school, college, and football um, teams all do. The difference with the NFL is that you're going to have so much more time with these guys, too. And what time does and what age does, because you're dealing with grown men now, is that they are going to be able to sniff out if they believe you are not fairly quickly. And I think um, we both believe Mike McDonald. After his press conference, we had the the privilege of being the first to interview him. We walked away from that saying, this dude is ready to go. So because we feel that way about Mike McDonald, he's going to do a great job hiring guys who are going to be leaders off top. Do you know the game? Are you leaders? And are you capable of connecting with these players? Because we know that's um, a big concern with Mike. That's why he's been able to do the things that he's done, because obviously he knows the game and he can connect with these guys. There has to be some type of we shall see when it comes to Grubb calling his first series in NFL. There has to be some sense of we shall see when it comes to uh, Coach AD over there calling his first series in the NFL. But that's why you have Leslie, Leslie Frazier. You got to have someone to mentor these guys. whole bunch of first-timers here, but they're qualified first-timers. It's not like these are some guys that you, you met on Eastlake Boulevard and, and said, hey, you want to coach? <laughs> What do you think about, you think about the 3-4? You know, the, these guys are qualified. But, yeah, you sh- there should be some questions because they've never been in this position before. I'm wondering if there's even more pressure on Grubb because you've got Adden. I'm going to think of it like Adden and subtracting. You've got Adden uh, Durde, uh, former defensive line coach for the Cowboys, as your um, DC. But you've got McDonald, 
former DC for the Ravens, calling plays as your head coach, and then you got Leslie Frazier as an assistant head coach who can offer all this experience. You've got three separate guys with great experience overlooking your defense, and then you've got Ryan Grubb. It's not that he's going to have. It's not that he won't have excellent support on the offensive side of things, but I feel like that's a lot of pressure for a first-time OC. You know what I mean? Like, you've got a defensive head coach, two guys on defense helping him out, and you're going to be looked to to be like, hey, you know what? While we're working on this defense, you got to take what we did last year and try to move it forward, and that's a big ask. It is, but it's a big ask, but it's not like you're going into a situation where um, this team wasn't competitive where you don't have a quarterback, where you haven't done a decent job drafting with the offensive line. If they can stay healthy, I really like that. Like you haven't, you don't have weapons on the outside. If the Seahawks were a team, at least I believe this, if the Seahawks were a team that had questions at a whole bunch of places on offense, Grubb is probably looking at Alabama and saying, I'm just going to stay here and do this because you know that if you don't have it on your roster now, you can go out and recruit. I think part of him making his move is that he's looking at what's here already and saying, Okay, I can work with that. You've already you've already helped develop one of the best offensive lines in the country. Mm-hmm. You've already taken a quarterback that a lot of people gave up on and made him a Heisman Trophy candidate. Now, I didn't make him. Obviously, Penix has the talent, but he's got to call the right plays and put him in the right position. You've dealt with NFL caliber receivers. All right, he's making the jump, but he's already been in some situations when it comes to the, the type of player that he's going to deal with because we foresee uh, a few players on that offensive side of the ball for UW being drafted. But there are some things that you don't know. You don't know what it's like to um, to be at VMAC in, the, in an NFL facility every day dealing with administration, a different type of administration than um, at the college ranks. You don't know what you don't know. That's why Leslie Frazier might be the most important signing as a coach on the staff other than Mike mm-hmm. McDonald because he's been on the offensive side, of, excuse me, defensive side of the ball. He's been a coordinator. He's been a head coach. He's going to be the godfather. Now, he, he ain't running stuff. Mike McDonald's running stuff, but he's going to be the reference. Whenever you need something, you got Leslie Frazier. So, uh, but it's football, man. When it's all said and done, it's football. It's what defense are you running? What offense are you running? What do we do in this situation? How prepared is your team for every situation? It's just football at the end of the day. Now, NFL is a different monster than NCAA, but these guys know football, so that's why I'm excited to see what they do with it, and they have weapons to work with. NFL is a different monster than the NCAA for a lot of reasons, but you've also pointed to more similarities than not uh, over the past few years between the college and pro game compared to how it was uh, certainly in the 90s, but also the early 2000s. I mean, there's been a lot of borrowing across both, quote, leagues. Um, so maybe that does make it different with co- college coaches coming to the pros in a way where that would have been a harder transition years ago. Who knows? Yeah, you would think so, right? With the uh, the spread offenses that are out there mm-hmm. and Grubb being one of the best OCs in the country when it comes to the college game, he's going to go out there and he's going to manipulate the box the same way he did at University of Washington. He is going to force the defense to get a certain personnel out there the same way he did at the University of Washington. It's really the main concern to me, if there is a concern, would be, all right, how do you just lead grown men? And how quickly do you get adjusted to the NFL game? Because there are some little things throughout even just the process of a game that are different than the college ranks. But that's why you have all the assistants to support these guys. And that's why you have the leader, Mike McDonald, and Leslie Frazier. So there's going, they're going to make mistakes. 
we saw Kyle Shanahan make a mistake last night in the Super Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. We were thinking, man, you probably wanted to kick that ball in overtime and see what they did. Those things are going to happen. It's about limiting those things. And the more reps they get, the more they get around these guys, the more they come together as a coaching staff and develop their philosophy or or kind of tag along to what Mike wants, uh, the better they'll be. So expect mistakes. It ain't going to be all smooth sailing, but these guys are qualified and um, I think they'll be all right. It was a quiet first half for both offenses in Super Bowl 58, and most people's favorite play was probably the final one in overtime that won the game for the Chiefs. But there's a lot that happened in between the start of the first quarter and then. So how did the Chiefs win this game, or did the 49ers just lose it? Plays of the game from Super Bowl 58 coming your way next.